back, but uh, Mark is still not back. Thank you for being back, Tim. Mark, I, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, yeah. you know, look, Mark <laughs> is engaged. Uh, uh, it seems uh, to be. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, in, in As the Mark's World Turns, um, Mark's trip to Paris was apparently romantically very successful. and uh, How could it not be? And she is here now. <laughs> which is why Mark is indisposed. Uh, I cannot wait to get him back on this show and, and just uh, humiliate and embarrass him to the end Frequent of the year. flyer miles. Oh, yes, very much so. So uh, anyway, we, uh, we got a whole bunch of fun stuff to talk about, and uh, we are recording this now in the wake of the Super Bowl. So yeah, everybody yeah. go back and see movies again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be. Tom Brady, five rings, man. Yeah, well, look. Uh, He's going to be 40 this year. Oh, a fantastic comeback. I got to be impressed. Yeah. You can't help but be impressed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I've never wanted to sort of give him the uh, the props of being in the same league with Joe Montana and look Terry Bradshaw. Look, man, when it comes to, when it comes, people talk about they talk about all these 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 quarterbacks, greatest football things, and they started Tom Brady and these yeah. Manning boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, Joe Willie Namath. Yeah. You people haven't even mentioned Joe Willie. Yeah. Joe Willie with no knees at all. Yeah. <laughs> could, could play. So anyway, I, so I have a little trouble engaging yeah. in these conversations if we're not going to talk about The greatest time. thing that Joe Namath ever did was the love boat. No. You know, <laughs> Joe, 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 Joe Willie was a man that could yeah. wear pantyhose and was still damn manly. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see Tom Brady do that. I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, also we should mention, Tim and I are going to be part of the uh, KPCC Film Week Oscar show, which is going to be live. If you're in Los Angeles, come on down. Go to uh, uh, scpr.org, the uh, Southern California Public Radio Station uh, website, and uh, that'll direct you to get some tickets. We're going to be... First time down... uh, You've you've been doing these things for way longer than me. Well, not that much longer, but yeah, we've done it at the Egyptian Theater with the Cinematheque for many years, and uh, we're going to the Ace Theater downtown, the the United Artists Theater. That was... It's ancient. It was built uh, for United Artists. It has been preserved beautifully, and it is in the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Pickford and Fairbanks, and it's... um, much bigger space. Much bigger space. The, the the unique thing about that space is that that has always been an open and operating yeah. theater from day one. Not one of these uh, yeah. refurbished and reclaimed. Uh, there are lots of those downtown. The Orpheum and other ones yeah. went away. I mean, they during your childhood because you're from here. I'm not. Yeah. I've been here for you know 27 years. This is my 27th year. Congratulations. Here. Wade Wade is the first person I met. <laughs> Wade is the first person I met when I when I came to LA. We yeah. were working for you know yeah. ye who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we do that. They were, they were actually yeah. lovely people. They were. We were working for them. Uh, and, and you were my editor at that Entertainment Today. Yeah. And which is a whole weird story in and of itself. That's that a, newspaper that yeah. which was around from the '60s. But anyway, during your youth, what of those theaters, those downtown theaters on Broadway, yeah. were live happening theaters? Were during none. your youth, none of them were your none really. None. They so were, they all preceded even you oh, as yeah. a native. Those things were those things were most of those downtown theaters stopped being theaters in the. Oh, gosh. I want to say the 1960s. They became swap meets and discos yeah. and everything else. And they've been slowly trying to get them yeah, One or two have come back and, yeah. and been restored. Yeah. And anyway, the Ace 
has always been there, always been operating. Yeah, Ace is uh, Ace is uh, you know Ace is the place. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is it is a legendary theater. It is in beautiful condition. So at one p.m. on the nineteenth, Sunday the nineteenth, Sunday February nineteenth, one p.m. Come on down to the Ace, and uh, Tim and I will be on stage along with. Claudia Puig and Peter Rayner and uh, Justin Andy, Justin Andy Chang Klein, and Andy yes. Klein and uh, Amy Nicholson, Christy Lemire, Amy Nicholson. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a great old time. We'll all be up on. T- Actually, I think Claudia is out of town. Is Claudia not? Going I to think be Claudia there? is uh, is running a film festival somewhere at that time. Yeah. So she's been doing a lot of that. So uh, we may not have Claudia, but we'll we'll have a great time. We'll have a good bunch of people. Um, Charles Solomon will of course uh, yeah. weigh in on uh, why everyone else is wrong about animation and he <laughs> is always right. Yeah. And uh, so it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Uh, and that show will for those who can't be there live, that'll be uh, aired on the uh, uh, the Film Week podcast, I guess, for yeah, for those the, who don't get it the, the following Friday, Friday the 24th. That would be at 11 AM now. Film Week. That's right. Has moved Thumbic up an has hour. moved to eleven. I mean, of course. Again, when you started doing the show, it was eleven. It was an eleven o'clock show. Yeah, it bumped. was an eleven o'clock show when I started doing it. As a matter of fact, it was. Uh, um, and then we moved till noon, which I gotta tell you, I kind of loved. Yeah, I did too. Uh, a little bit later in the Traffic day, but that's better. okay. You know what? I'm I'm kind of okay with the earlier thing. Uh, uh, now uh, we'll we'll just get it a little bit earlier, and yeah. we'll see what happens. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kick in here. We've got uh, let's start off. We've got some uh, LGBT titles here, uh, which uh, Tim can uh, launch us on. Um, Akron uh, is the first one here. The name of this title. Uh, this is about a college freshman who goes to the University of Akron, where he meets and fall, falls in love. Well, you know, with his first boyfriend. It's one of those sort of coming of age stories. Interesting hook is that the fella he falls in love with is on the football team. Which, of course, you know, leads you to one of those stories about him being able to come out. Who's coming out? You know, this kid is coming out. He wants the other guy to come out. Uh, you know, it, where, where it gets, yeah, yeah. You know, that's it, all good. But here's the thing that I wonder. All right. And, you know, and, and far be it for me to sort of make these judgments about <laughs> these things sitting here a relatively straight man. But aren't we over the coming out? Now, are we I, with that? I I find it interesting. I'm curious as to how Moonlight is going to affect this because yeah. Moonlight is, you know, the LGBT films have been a a niche, a target market, much like faith based films. You 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 love them or you don't. They're targeted to these people. They don't really aim to cross over. And once you start getting things like Moonlight, which raise the bar mm. uh, and find a crossover audience. I wonder how that, how that, if that has a reciprocal effect. Yeah, and uh, and and just posing the question, what what can these films be about now? Yeah. I understand. I was a big, um, you know, I've always been a big out out uh, fest supporter, generally speaking. And back in those early days that we were just talking about yeah. a minute ago, I used to, I used to get sent to, to cover all of the gay films. Yeah. So I always, I always had this sort of like affection for them. My brother's gay. I'm just, I'm just from a very gay friendly society. <laughs> I'm from a very gay friendly family. These things never, uh, uh, you know, really affected me in any particular way. It was just always sort of cinema for me. But I noticed long ago yeah. that most of this cinema was about the process of coming out in yeah. one way or another. Whether it was really, really funny films like In and Out. Remember that yeah. one with, uh, sure. uh, it was Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Klein, Klein and Tom Selleck back yeah. in the day. And here we are now, and it just seems to me that that can't continue to be the story in cinema. That is, you yeah. know, it has to be something else. So we'll yeah. have to see. Because I got another one in my hand. It's uh, it's about the same thing. It's called yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it's uh, you know it's it's a lovely film. I noticed just because I happened to look at the user reviews mm-hmm. on IMDb, got one star. Yeah. 
you know, so that's that's from the uh, that's from the gay community. So we'll have to see about that. One. And then we got Feral, uh, which is a television series. This is from TLA. Uh, this is the first season of Feral, which uh, is essentially a, about a, an art- a gay artist's community. Yeah, if I, I mean it's you know. Interesting thing about that is that it's, it's a television thing, and it's yeah. set in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, other than, uh, I, first of all, you don't see all that many shows set anyplace other than yeah. in Los Angeles or New York or maybe occasionally Chicago. San, San Francisco. San Francisco. There. Sure. Although the coasts sort of occupy yeah. a lot of that, that territory. Uh, you know, this show sort of set and actually, you know, featuring the landscape of Memphis, Tennessee. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, all right. So we got that. Let's, uh, let's shift into new movies. Yeah, and uh, Tim, I I am an enormous fan of Queen of Cotway. I'm a little disappointed this did not get more love at the Oscars. Yeah. I get why it didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's a but little... if Hidden Figures did, then this could have because yeah. this film and Hidden Figures live in the exact same lane. Exact same lane. The difference is that uh, 20th Century Fox very heavily pushed Hidden Figures for awards. And Disney was content for Queen of Cotway to just sort of be there and make some money, and uh, and they they don't really get behind their films uh, in an Oscar way anymore, which is really sad. Queen of Cotway is uh, directed by Mira Nair and tells a true story. And mind you, you have to understand, Mira Nair, Indian director, but mm. she lives in Uganda. Yeah. She has always lived in Uganda. It's always been a very, very large Indian diaspora that lives in Uganda. Um, all the way back to when Idi Amin kind of persecuted them and tried to drive them out. But they've always been there. And so she considers Uganda and the people of Uganda as much her home and her people as she does India. That is significant because Mira Nair, who I adore, by the way, I mm. truly adore her. I've interviewed her twice. For some reason, she always remembers me, calls me Mr. Wade. <laughs> and um, there's, something, there's something really extraordinary about this very eloquent, patrician Indian woman who can curse like a truck driver <laughs> and drop those words in when you least expect them. It's shocking and it's delightful at the same time. Um, the story in Queen of Katwai uh, is a story of uh, kids from the slums of Uganda who learn to play chess. David Oyelowo is the, the, uh, the young student who teaches them chess to try to improve their lives because this has all the lessons you learn from chess are life lessons and how he basically is able to take this team of these kids from the slums to challenge the elite prep school yeah. Ugandan kids. You know, I didn't know again there was a true story, based true, on a true story, story based on and how they go and they walk into these kids who you know are are uh, snooty and wear the uniforms and the whole thing, and uh, basically show them up and have amazing chess skills. I think this is such an inspiring movie. Yeah, it's one of those underdog movies. You're swapping out, you know, chess for basketball or football. It's Rudy. It's all of those movies. I get it. Cool we've, running. Cool runnings, Rocky. We've, we've, we've seen this so many times. But you know what? The performances are so good, and they're so wonderful. And I love this movie, and I cried, and you root for them. And you know what? I, I applaud Disney because there, there's not a white face anywhere in this movie. And... Most people I know who saw it don't. That doesn't even dawn on them. It does not. It's it, a people movie. It's yeah, a movie it, about people. It, it, and, it, and you're right about that. And it's an interesting thing. Uh, and, and, and had you not mentioned it, it, it would it would it would not bear mentioning. Except Wouldn't. that it does bear mentioning because it, there has been a time when Disney would have made well, you know, whoever would have yeah. made a similar movie, and they would have put at the center of it 
a white and, teacher, and, and some sort yeah. of an anchor yeah. uh, for the rest of what they would think society yeah. would need to, anchor, to, to, to attach to the movie. Here, Don't they thought it. the better of it. They it did. Necessary. They and, trust, the movie, and the movie did well, too. The movie did very well. They trusted the people. They trusted the actors who were all absolutely extraordinary. And uh, it's just wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. The, kids in the, the, the kid actors in this are just to, to die for. They're absolutely wonderful. Oyelowo is absolutely great. And... Um, you know, it's uh, it's just an absolutely wonderful film. It's a wonderful film. So I uh, and and Lupita Nyong'o, Oscar winner, we should point out, is in this as well. plays uh, plays mother of uh, of Medina Nalwanga, who is the girl who sort of anchors this team. It's just delightful. Fell in I, love with her when she was sort of roaming around. They were all sort of roaming around together doing press. I did a yeah. whole lot of press for this, and uh, just totally fell in love. Uh, with that young girl, she's uh, fantastic. She, she is absolutely great, yeah. and you know, novice so actor who was just so very good. Between things like Slumdog Millionaire and this, I I think there is uh, there's a sea change in Hollywood, and uh, I, people are are less afraid of making films that don't sort of um, fit the cultural mold anymore. So I I applaud him for that because it's not just and it's not just race; it's another country. Yeah, we forget that. Yeah, and I had no idea that there was this big class thing in Uganda. Yeah, that you got the prep school people, and then you got the slums, and the one looks down on the other. Yeah, every culture, right? You can't. You can't. You ultimately can't, 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 can't get, get away from it. it. Can't yeah. get away from it. Uh, and then we've also got okay a, a, uh, the ninth life of Louis Drax. Yeah, uh, Alexandre Aja directed this film. You know, Alexander, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, he's done a lot of horror uh, stuff. Oh, French oh, director. Uh, French director. High Tension, actually, yeah. was the one that turned me on to him, which is a really, really tight little film. This one's about a psychologist uh, uh, who finds himself draw, drawn into a mystery that tests the boundaries of fantasy and real, reality. It has to do with all these sort of like uh, experiments and things like that. Um, you know, this is pretty. It's a pretty neat little film, kind of intense. I like him. I like Aja. He's he's more of a horror movie kind of guy, yeah. generally speaking. When you think about his stuff, uh, this has a special feature on it: the making of the Ninth Life of Louis Drax, which might be interesting. Um, a digital HD ultraviolet. Um, so you know, pretty neat film. I like it quite a lot. Jamie Dornan, uh, by the way, and Aaron Paul in the movie. We've got a couple of animated films here on Blu-ray and 4K for one of them. The Blu-ray is Long Way North, which is uh, from the uh, the same animation team that did Secret of Kells and uh, Song of the Sea. And uh, it, so it has that very um, kind of flat but painterly style to it. Very nicely done. Really, really beautiful. Set in turn-of-the-century Russia, believe it or not. And uh, this is, I mean, it, it veers more grown up. This is, it's rated PG, but I'd almost say it's even a little bit more grown up than that. But I, uh, I, I just think it's great. It's, uh, it's about a young girl who's from the upper class of the, uh, of the Russian elite and uh, who just wants to be an explorer like her grandfather. And um, it's really, it's really qu quite a wonderful look at, uh, you know, a young girl. It's, it's like, we, we see it a lot with um, even Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm. Uh, which, by the way, the live-action Beauty and the Beast, oh, yeah. I cannot hear the end of it. My daughter, just every day, can we go see the grown-up Beauty and the Beast? It's not, <laughs> out, it's not out yet. I want to see grown-up Beauty and the Beast. Not out yet. She doesn't understand what not out yet means. She sees a commercial, <laughs> let's go see it. It must be out. Anyway, Daddy so it's a, make it happen. It's a similar kind of young girl empowerment thing. It's really beautifully done. Uh, I'm sorry this didn't get really more attention uh, theatrically, so definitely look it out, please. Long Way North, that's on Blu-ray and DVD uh, with a digital download. And then we also have Trolls on 4K. Heaven only knows why. Um, 
you know what? You, you, 4K will show you a really, really detailed, uh, very mediocre animation. Uh, these dumb little troll toys that we have all laughed at at novelty shops for decades and decades. I don't know why somebody over at DreamWorks thought that that was worthy of an animated film, but they did. And it comes off as kind of like Smurfs on acid. And that's the only thing I can tell you. Uh, one of the, the didn't didn't the song from this thing get an Oscar nomination? Oh yeah, this thing's Oscar nominated. Yeah, yeah. That is not going to win. Yeah, I just want you to know that right yeah. now, trolls. You are, you should be happy with it with one nomination. Uh, I didn't think it was that funny. I know a lot of kids that really really loved it. Look in the wake of, of even Finding Dory, let alone something like Red Turtle or yeah. even. Uh, Kubo and the Blue yeah, Strings. Yeah, no, it's not. This, is movie, this movie is almost no. irrelevant. Anyway, uh, the, so the reason the song got nominated is Justin Timberlake, who does a voice in the movie, wrote the song. So, you know, JT gets a, gets an Oscar nomination. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Pharrell song out of Hidden Figures has got that all wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think... I think uh, or La La Land. La La Land. Yeah, La La, yeah, Land's, yeah, La, La, yeah. La Land's gonna get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I also got Masterminds. Um, I know a little bit of the backstory on this, but regardless, uh, full disclosure, I actually I, I uh, sort of know the guy who wrote it as well. Um, you know what? It's a perfectly funny, uh, quirky, offbeat, funny film. Um, it's not quite what you would expect given the cast, however. Uh, you know, when you consider that this movie has four of arguably four of the funniest people on the planet, Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig, Owen Wilson, Jason Sudeikis, um, you would think, wow, that's really going to just uh, completely kill it. Um, but Jared Hess, who directed it, did not write it, who, of course, you know, Napoleon Dynamite, and Nacho Libre, and so forth, has a very, very particular style. And um, while it is funny, you do have to kind of, you know, shift your mental gears a, a little moment uh, early on and realize you're not watching something made by a major studio. Um, so, that said, this got a little bit caught up in the Relativity quagmire for a moment. When Relativity was going through its bankruptcy, they had to bump the release date on this thing. And so I think it sabotaged its uh, its theatrical release uh, just a little bit. So, definitely worth checking out, but be prepared to sort of shift gears a little bit from what you normally expect in a comedy. That said, I really, really think it's funny, and I'm amazed that this is presumably a true story. I'd love to know exactly how much of it is true. Um, you know, for just crazy, whack-job, goofy outlaws, and it's a heist film where everything that can go wrong go, does go wrong. So, anyway, it is uh, it is inspired, indeed, by a ridiculous true story, but i got to find out just how ridiculously true it really is. Yeah, it doesn't always make for a good movie. No. Uh, but sometimes it does. Yeah. i got one here. Want me to knock this one off? Yeah, let's do it. Two Lovers uh, is the name, of a film, uh, the name of the film. Two Lovers and the Bear. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting film, mostly because of the setting. It's about these two uh, young people who are at this uh, remote outpost near the North Pole. Uh, they fall in love. Uh, uh, one of them has some issues, and uh, they decide that they're going to take a deep, deep trek uh, into the Arctic tundra to try to work out their issues. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but in the context of the film, it works out okay. Some lovely, lovely footage, uh, you know, up in the great white north, uh, polar bears and all that kind of stuff. Not particularly much on the film here, uh, but, you know, um, you know, a lovely sort of uh, heartfelt. The, you know, you, what, uh, you ever watch um, uh, Orphan, Orphan Black? Yeah, yeah. The, the girl from Orphan Black who's playing all the characters, she's fantastic. She's the girl in the movie. Oh, that's great. And that's what's, that's what's interesting about the film. But she's only playing the one girl. So, you know, it's not like Orphan. Got a couple of guys with guns movies. You always got to love it when it, when a Blu-ray or a DVD has a guy with a gun on the cover. It just, it, <laughs> you know, you, you don't need to, re who cares what it's about? It's a guy it, with a gun. It's so 80s. It, it really is. 
So Idris Elba, um, who really is in kind of a groove now, I think he realizes that if he wants to just make a make a crappy movie where he's a guy with a gun, it's okay because people love him and no one's going to hold it against him because it's a payday. Yeah. Uh, Idris Idris continues to uh, just be the the Teflon movie star these days. In uh, The Take, which is otherwise pretty mediocre, this is a Blu-ray with a, an ultraviolet uh, uh, coat on it, uh, he just plays one of those rogue spies who's, you know, trying to figure something out. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a heist and a whole thing that happens. And, uh, you know, he's just running around with a gun, putting the pieces together. We've seen this movie a thousand times. There's nothing particularly amazing about it. But you know what? It's got Idris Elba in it, so yeah. therefore it is by definition unique. And then um, a little bit more interesting is Desierto. Uh, this is with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Gail Garcia Bernal. This is... Um, I thought it was pretty good. It's not bad, right? It's not bad. So uh, the this is directed by uh, Jonas Cuaron, who is Alfonso Cuaron's son, who was his co-writer on Gravity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and Jonas is, you know, not a bad filmmaker. I don't know that he's in the same league with his dad, but he's, he's certainly learned a few things. He's a, he's a decent writer and, uh, he, you know, he put a pretty decent little movie together here for his directing debut. And, um, you know, I I don't begrudge him any of that nepotism. Uh, he certainly, uh, paid his dues and earned, earned his shot. So, uh, you know, this is one of those movies where you got, uh, like, you know, uh, bunch of guys in the down it takes place around the u.s mexican border right the, mm-hmm. the dangerous lands the modern badlands and it has a little bit of a modern uh western flair to it i would i would almost call it kind of in the same vein as hell and high water but uh maybe just a notch and a half below but mm. that's not a bad place to be no 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 yeah. funny 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 that 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 kind of film that tone of film hell and high yeah. water of course nominated uh, for an Academy yeah. Award yep. in, in the one or two categories. I think uh, Jeff Bridges has got one, and the film yeah. itself has one, right? Yes. Um, uh, I, you know, if you, had, if you had told me a couple of years ago that that kind of film would make it back into the Academy Award, yeah. uh, I, I would have you know, been like, really? I, don't, yeah. I, I think that's kind of played out. But yeah. Yeah, no, when, when done well, they're done well. I yeah uh, you know the whole th- it, I mean there's a whole you know I won't get into all the details he's this, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's a bad dude he's been a bad dude ever since he he, he made his debut as a really sweet guy on Grey's Anatomy uh, he's gone on to just play bad dudes yeah well he, he you know he has that face he does anyway so he's a bad dude chasing a lot of people around and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal never plays bad dudes because we're supposed to love him all the time because he has such a sweet face and that's just the way it is but anyway it's uh, you know it's good it's good Uh, Blu-ray DVD and Ultraviolet on that one Desierto and um, then Tim, we got a couple of a couple of uh, well, Frank and Lola kind of dug that too. Michael Shannon and Imogene Poots. Yeah, there. we got two love movies here: uh, Loving and Frank and Lola. Um, you, you like Frank and Lola? I did too. I was surprised it was sweet, but it didn't really make it in the awards mix, did it? No, no. Look, and, and that's that's a bit of odd casting there. You know, they they're set in Las Vegas. He's a chef. She's this fashion designer chick. And um, uh, there's this whole sort of noir thing going on with a mystery and all of that. But mostly it's just this romance thing. Yeah. And when I think of it, I think of myself, oh, I need a romance. Who am I going to put in my romance? Let me go get Michael Shannon. <laughs> and Imogen Poots. And then we'll, get, and we'll, we'll bump her up against Miss Poots over here, who's yeah. got to be like 15 years younger than him in the first place. Well, and it, let's see what happens. Yeah, I, but oddly, kind of works. It does. I, they are both cast so tremendously against type. And yet I like them both so much. But the problem is... 
they are both the other person in a movie, yeah. right? They're supporting people. It's yeah. it's not neither of them is a star per se that anchors a movie. You don't go, oh my gosh, I gotta run out and see those two, unless you already just really really love them. But uh, that said, I I think the world of both of them, and I think uh, it took a nice chance. This was at Sundance last year, and uh, Michael Shannon continues to be one of the most hardworking and interesting actors out there. Matthew Ross film. Uh, Loving, which was one of two films that Jeff Nichols made last year. He did uh, the, uh, the 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 ET thing. Oh uh, yeah, the, the, the midnight the, the, special. The, yeah, yeah, the, with, with Michael Shannon. With uh, Michael Shannon, and uh, then he went on and made Loving. I I respect anybody that can make two feature films in a single year, yeah. and there were a bunch of people that did them last year. Yeah. Um, but Loving is is solid. It's really solid. I didn't love it the way I wanted to love it. And I, I've been trying to figure out why. Ruth Negga, of course, played the uh, got an Oscar nomination. I, for I love part. both of those performances, actually. Hers, Oscar nominated, as you say. His, too, though, Joel Edgerton. Um, 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 for those I, who don't know, this is the story of the, the, the Loving couple, Richard Loving and Mildred Loving, whose name is perfect. Uh, but historically, they're the ones that sort of um, – it was their marriage – Against the law in the South that led to the uh, 1967 miscegenation case. That's right, which which overturned uh, laws against uh, interracial marriage in America. Yeah. And the nice thing is, it's not a it's not a preachy film. It doesn't sort of lay it on thick. Doesn't wear it on its sleeve. It's very quiet. Very quiet. As were these humans, uh, as, as these as these two people were, which we know, of course, from from a wonderful documentary. Yes, exactly. Uh, that features footage of of these actual humans, some of which they duplicate in that film. And yeah. In, in a fairly nice way. Anyway, it's a very solid film, nominated where it's nominated. As you said, Ruth, I'm not sure. Is, is something else nominated about Loving? Maybe a screenplay or something? It, I, don't I think know. it got a, may have gotten a screenplay it, nod. Yeah. It, appropriately. You know, not nominated for Best P- Picture, for instance. Which right? I expected it to be. It, which I, it, and, you know, there's a tenth slot there so plainly it didn't get enough yeah. number ones correct uh, uh, in order to push it up and, and, and take up that 10th slot but, but nevertheless keep, you know a solid movie I think the reason I think one of the reasons that that it it misses just a tiny bit for me does, and you look at it, the production value is great they I mean the, the the recreation of the period is perfect it's flawless it's beautifully shot it's really sensitively great acted. score great score everything's solid the only thing that I think misses a little bit for me is uh, I think I wanted a few places. I wanted the, the volume turned up just a little bit in a few places because it doesn't really hit a lot of peaks. Mm. It doesn't have any valleys because it doesn't have any peaks. It's just I wanted a few more you know, peaks in this thing. But I think also um, they try for a little bit of comedy relief with the attorney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was weird. Not necessary and, and, yeah. and, and steps outside what that film was yeah. was doing. And you're right. And look, I get it. If, if they didn't want to insinuate some sort of an artificial uh, something in there. But yeah. nevertheless, anyway, solid yeah. movie. Loving. Yeah. Uh, let me throw a, another one in here really quickly. Uh, a little indie that I think is, well, you know, uh, Little Sister is a very odd movie. Um, it's kind of formulaic in the sense that it's one of these movies about somebody who returns home and faces all of these litany of issues that are related to the family and the small town and so forth. We've seen that. It's, you know, Garden State and on and on and on. There's, there's, a, there's a million of these. Uh, this one's a little bit stranger because the girl who goes home, she's not in the big city just living a normal life. She's trying to be a nun. Mm-hmm. And... Going home, the family isn't just dysfunctional. Her brother is disfigured from fighting in Iraq, you know, like head just consumed in, in some kind of a napalm explosion or some such thing. 
So it, it really kind of tries to ride a very uncomfortable edge and then push that into some dark comedy. Um, Addison Timlin, who plays Colleen, the lead character, uh, is a, a little bit like a young Winona Ryder, except weirder. That's how she plays it. And I, I, you know, I've seen the dysfunctional family done so many times in movies like this. Um, that this sort of seems to be trying a little too hard at times. It felt like it was, you know, quirky for the sake of being quirky. Mm. At the same time, it's got about five or six really, really good scenes. Yeah. So I can't not recommend it. Um, but it's definitely for people with a real indie taste. So that uh, <laughs> that has a whole bunch of bonus features on it. It's on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. Uh, extended deleted scenes, a uh, you know, home videos, and all kinds of other uh, fun little weird quirky things, including uh, director Zach Clark's uh, um, debut feature excerpts from it that is rock and roll uh, eulogy um, so anyway little sister and a very a very old Ali Sheedy in this as well playing her mom I have to say <laughs> I was shocked I just I, I, I you just know that's Ali Sheedy I don't know why I do that thing of where I want oh everyone who was you know 19 in my youth to, to just stay yeah. 19 I don't know right. why it's, it's a brutal thing to do and I should stop doing it Kevin Smith made a movie did you know that Kevin yeah. Smith made a movie called Yoga Yoga Hosers. Yeah, Yoga Yo- Hosers. Yoga Hosers. Anyway, it's one of these. It's, it's self distributed, by the way. Self distributed, I mean, which of course yeah. he's been threatening to do as so as yeah. though you know. Anyway, yeah. well, I'm not going to start crapping on Kevin Smith here. Uh, two teenage yoga enthusiasts teen up uh, with this man hunter just sort of battle evil and ancient evil presence. One of those kind of things. Uh, he got his buddy. He got his buddy Johnny Depp to come out and. And be in the movie, of course. Uh, he also got Johnny Depp's daughter, Lily Rose Depp, to be yeah. in the movie. And, the, and if, you get, if you put Johnny Depp's daughter in the movie, guess what? Johnny Depp will do. <laughs> He'll be in the movie. I guess, that, I guess so. Of course, Johnny Depp was in his previous film, that one with yeah. uh, the, where the guy turned into the walrus. Droll was yeah, the yeah. walrus room. Uh, there. Anyway, uh, um, uh, that's what this is all about. Uh, doesn't look like there's anything particularly interesting on this. Rated PG-13. Actually, there is a, bon- a bonus featurette. Uh, that that comes with. Yes. Life on the Line is one of these John Travolta movies that John Travolta has been making lately. Yeah. Uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage are my two favorite hair actors. <laughs> uh, you, 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 I, sometimes I, I check out their movies just to see which wig they're going to be wearing. Yeah. I particularly like uh, uh, Nick Cage's sorcerer wig. Yeah. Whenever, whenever he plays somebody magical and he wears that long. Anyway, the, uh, John is playing uh, you know, like an everyday guy. Uh, it, the movie really, it's about these guys who work these sort of high wire, tension wires, uh, uh, this particular one is set in Beaumont, Texas. Set in Texas anyway. It's in the middle of a, thor- a storm. They have to go out there and, and keep the electricity going uh, for the folks. And it's, uh, it's about his family and a train and a bunch of stuff. It's really bad. Uh, nevertheless, special features, Life on the Line music video, uh, uh, which includes Darius Rucker uh, and some behind-the-scenes stuff and some interviews with the principals there in John Travolta's movie, Life on the Line. When did he make that change? When, when did John... You know, when when did John he, about two or three? These 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 are all theatrically yeah. released movies, by the yeah. way. This is this is a theatrically released movie. When uh, did that happen? You know, uh, he he John Travolta has had about five different careers. Yeah, and I mean he's and he's probably TV have, TV, TV TV John Travolta, yeah. Vinny Barbarino, and then you know movie star John movie Travolta, star in, you know, in, in musicals, Saturday Night Live musicals, you know, all the way through yeah. Staying Alive and a few others. Went away for a while, made some crap movies. Uh, Quinn, like Quinn, Quinn brought him back. 
Yeah. Made him a pop icon, John Travolta. Yeah. And then, uh, he, and, then he be, and then he started making, you know, things like Face Off. Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Big, gigantic, big movies. A-list director. Big movie. Big movie, yeah. John Travolta. And then he made his, uh, his L. Ron Hubbard thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The self, he produced that, right? And, and starred and, in it. And, and directed yeah. it. And I think that might have been the, that might have been what pulled the zip. The that that, that may have, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway I did a lot. life on the line. So Martin Sheen in a two-disc special edition. This is a DVD only, uh, and the movie is The Vessel. This is an interesting movie. Um, there, uh, this, there's a, you know an English language version and a Spanish language version on this because directed by Julio Quintana. Um, a fascinating kind of movie. Not really a theatrical. This is this is very very niche because Martin Sheen, very religious guy, very Catholic. Yeah. Produced. And he and he speaks Spanish. And he speaks Spanish. And well, because he's he's he well, is Spanish. He's, Spanish. <laughs> he's his, his real his real name is is you know Martin Estevez. Uh, you know I went to school with the family. Yeah. They were all Estevez at the time. Uh, anyway, uh, produced by Terrence Malick, who is, is is his own kind of spiritual. Yeah. So you definitely get two very different sensibilities in this. And here's the deal. This is uh this is about a um a village in South America where a tsunami has killed a whole bunch of people, and a decade later, one of them comes back to life. Martin Sheen plays the priest. What the hell's going on? Is this... Uh, it's not a zombie movie. Mm. It is literally meant to sort of ask some very deep sort of spiritual and, and quasi-religious questions, and um, it, it doesn't necessarily answer them to its credit. It's meant more to be sort of intellectually and spiritually provocative. It's mm -hmm. an interesting film. Uh, I wouldn't call it a faith-based film. I'd call it more a spiritual film. Interesting. Just kind of interesting. It really does split the the you know Martin Sheen's made a number of these very very sort of Catholic films, um, uh, and uh, this is not one of those per se. But he he's still a great actor. Still does a really really good job. W would you call it sci-fi? I'd call it. Uh, it's more in the Malick realm. It okay. really is. It's more like a Malick film that's not directed by Malick. You know, because because like he had all that priest stuff in um, not the last one, but the uh, uh, the one the, yeah the Ben Affleck one. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because you know the, the one thing the Malick films doesn't do is engage in anything particularly supernatural. It defers instead yeah. to the sort of scientific. Thus, all of those all of those vignettes in those two Malick films. Yeah. Three really, if you go all the way back to Tree of Life. That have to do with the you know the beginning of the universe and, and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. So interesting that uh, Mr. Estevez went yeah. the other way. Yeah, and uh, this is a kind of a foreign film, kind of not a foreign film. I'm going to mention it here just because it has Matthew Reese in it, and I adore Matthew Reese. This is from Cohen, our good friends at Cohen on Blu-ray. Uh, the film is Come What May. This is a World War II uh, drama. Um, basically sent around the uh, the Nazi invasion in 1940 of uh, of France, and you're in a you know small village in France where people are sort of trying to flee and, and make their way away, and it's um it's a it's an interesting multicultural look at that because it's not exclusively about Germans and the French. Uh, the you know there's a young German boy uh, who is a bit of, whose, whose father was an anti-Nazi. Mm. And then you've got, uh, you know, a, a Scottish soldier in this played by Matthew Reese, who is Welsh, but does the Scottish accent rather beautifully. And, um, it's, it's really, it's an interesting little twist on our, on our usual Germany invades France movies, which are kind of a genre unto themselves. But, um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good little human drama just of, very different people, different backgrounds, uh, not stereotypes, not World War II archetypes. It just kind of 
these are these are not the people we normally expect to see in a World War II film, mm. and uh, put them together and see how they deal with uh, a difficult situation. Matthew Reese in Come What May on Blu-ray from Cohen, very nice film. No, okay, interesting. I got Cross Wars over here. This is uh, Brian Austin Green in the sort of a uh, comic book adaptation uh, of a series of film. A whole bunch of people in this thing got Danny Trejo and Vinnie Jones. Uh, in the movie, and I guess people who know the graphic novel know the graphic novel. Anyway, it features the commentary uh, from the filmmakers and a few others. Uh, I'm not really familiar with this graphic novel series. Mm -hmm. I saw the first film. There's another film uh, that this is based on, so I suppose if you like one, you might like the other. Um, Cross Wars on Blu-ray. And then I've got um, Almost Christmas here from David Talbert. David Talbert is sort of like, uh, he's... Um, oh, who, we, we, we were talking about him. We like just talked about him the other ago. day. Uh, yeah, he's Tyler Perry without the... Without Medea. Dress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, without, yeah. without Medea. But he sort of makes these sort of quasi-face based films, mostly sort of urban black yeah. films, mostly generally speaking comedic and dramatic and, uh, and, and and they come around to sort of like the same themes. And you know, he gets some pretty good starts in these things. This one stars Danny Glover. This one was kind of neat um, in that it's it's sort of serious but very heartfelt. It did pretty well when it was in theaters. It's about this, it's about this family. Uh, they're just a family, sort of a nice middle class family and they're celebrating their first Christmas since the matriarch of the family passed away. Uh, and it manages to be sort of poignant and sweet and still funny all at the same time. So good for David Talbert. So Arturo Ripstein is a Mexican director who makes uh, not very commercial movies, but they are internationally acclaimed movies. And uh, he's got one here on from Kino. I wish this was on Blu-ray because this would be a beautiful film on Blu-ray. It's shot in black and white. It's called Bleak Street. So here's the way I'm, I'm going to describe Bleak Street. Try not to laugh. Okay, so if you took Wings of Desire... And if the two angels in Wings of Desire were prostitutes who killed people, it would be Bleak Street. Yeah. And, if, and, if, and if Berlin was Mexico City, it would be Bleak Street. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe this. So this is, this is Wings of Desire with prostitutes, murderous prostitutes instead of uh, helpful angels set in Mexico City instead of Berlin. I don't know any other way to describe this thing. But beautifully shot, uh, very poetic, very eerie at times, deeply disturbing. Um, interesting film, but if you're not a fan of Ripstein, if you've seen Arturo Ripstein films before, you're not going to get anything different. You know what you're getting into, and you probably won't like it. So you got to pretty much be a Ripstein fan. All right. Uh, TV. Are we going to dive into some TV now? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get into some TV. Uh, you know, it's political season, so it's a good time to talk about, well, it's, you know, after political season, but... What better time to talk about season one of Graves, Nick Nolte's TV comeback as a grumbly, crusty ex-president that seems to have more than a little bit in common with George W. Bush. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it seems to be pretty obvious, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, um, he's, uh, you know, this is a guy who was, uh, he was a president a quarter century ago, and he realizes he screwed up, and, you know, now he's kind of trying to make amends now that he's figured out he wasn't a very good president. Um uh, it, you know what? It's uh, it's it's funny. It's not as funny as I wanted it to be. I, I it, it sort of wants to be Veep. Mm. You know, Veep has kind of Veep got everybody drunk on the idea of hey, we can actually make a kind of a a political series that's funny and and you know yeah, but Julia Louis Dreyfus is funny yeah, and, and Nolte ain't and that she, funny and she's not pointing at anybody in particular. No, she's not. You know, so, uh, Julia anyway. Dreyfus. So that's that's the thing. I, there was a Timothy Bottoms series that they did. 
Uh, you know, while W was actually yeah. maybe first 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 a term of W, yeah. and that didn't work for the same reason because it was just pointing directly at them. We'll have to see. Yeah. 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 Anyway, and we got uh, we got some uh, National Geographic uh, stuff here. I'll just hit these three real quickly. The Incredible Doctor Paul, season nine. I did not know there were nine seasons of this. I had never heard of this, so mm. I'm obviously not watching enough Nat Geo. Um, uh, Dr. Paul is, uh... No, the large, the big farmer animal guy. Yeah, he's with, basically... With, with a, his whole family of... Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a vet, and, uh, he, he, you know, he's like an amazing vet. Anyway, for nine years, people have watched this guy basically, uh, uh cure animals of all kinds of horrible afflictions. Anyway, it's, it's strange that that's gone on for nine years, but he's really good. That is absolutely uh, fascinating. He, he, and he, yeah, it's just amazing that there's, you know, nine years of following a guy around just being a vet and, and fixing animals, and uh, who knew? So it's, it is actually shockingly interesting. Uh, the Monsters, The Definitive Guide, is one of those, you know, things that Nat Geo does just so that it can compete with what they do over at TLC. Why is TLC still called TLC? <laughs> there is know, nothing. So you know what? The Learning the Channel. Learning channel. No. There is nothing about the, the all of that horrible white trash weirdness that they just... No. That, there's no. nothing learning about nothing that. Nothing to learn from Honey, honey Boo Boo. Honey Boo Boo is no. not learning. Good grief. Why they need they really need to rebrand. It's just TLC was once upon a time a wannabe PBS. Now yeah. it's just like, you know, we we are trash. It bailed. It bailed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is one of those things that Nat, Nat Geo does so they can feel like they need they can compete with, you know, everybody who's gone who's gone for the lowest common denominator. So, uh, you know, it's yeah, it's all about uh, you know, sharks and squids and giant monsters under the under the ocean and and it tries to sort of make it an informative documentary about sea monsters but it really isn't it's just about sharks it's just <laughs> it, it, it's just shark week in that shark Geo- week everything. it's not geo's version of shark week that's all it is uh and generation x gets a little bit more highbrow this is interesting um because you know, I'm not technically Generation X. I'm some generation that's like between mm. the baby boomer. You're a baby boomer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the last year. Yeah. See, I'm between. I was talking to my sister-in-law because she's also a baby boomer. I'm between the boomers and Gen X. Yeah. And these don't things don't have sort of firm years in many places. So I'm like that lost generation. I don't really know what I'm supposed I, to be. I know exactly what you mean because you know, I'm technically last year of the baby boom, sixty-one. Yeah, uh, it's my year. Uh, and but but I, I got to tell you, that my mother who was born in like I don't know, like I, I want to want to say like forty-two or something yeah. like that, which is technically a couple of years uh, before the baby boom. Baby yeah. boom starts right at the right at the end of the war. But this puts me and my mother way too close together. <laughs> well, so anyway. I'm like, you know what? I'm claiming Gen X. Two discs, six episodes of the 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 major milestones of the Gen X generation, and it includes you know Tiananmen and the fall of the Berlin Wall and all of this stuff. And uh, you know, it kind of begins with with Watergate and Nixon and and moves on through all of this really interesting stuff. And it is it is fascinating what Gen X really went through. It it explains a great deal. Um, certainly explains my my incredible disdain for Gen X. And, and why I'm, I, <laughs> See, I never did have that. You, 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 oh, you, you yeah. were always a little pissy. Yeah, about but I, you know, I hate everybody. Uh, That's they, who I am. They, they didn't bother me all that much. <laughs> uh, I got a little TV over here. Yeah, uh, a series that I truly loved back in 1987 when it first premiered. This is the first and second season of Hooperman, starring the late John Ritter. Oh, fabulous! Uh, I particularly loved uh, Barbara Balsam and others. What I loved about this series, it's ushered in that early era 
of comedic television without a laugh track. Yeah. It was this and Frank's Place and a few others, uh, none of which lasted very long, by the way. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought it was some of the most sophisticated. Now, around the same time that this was happening, uh, the Fox Network was hitting uh, the scene uh, and, and bringing us the old the Simpsons, uh, well, the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, yeah. The, oh, excuse me, with those little interludes of yeah. the Simpsons in between them. Which are oh. freaky when you watch them now. Because yeah, they don't they, look anything they, like they're, that. They're, they're melty and weird and, and very kind, kind of, of quivery, that LSD designs. Anyway, yeah. uh, this was a pretty neat series. I remember loving Hooperman. He played a cop in San Francisco. Uh, he had a little dog, uh, and uh, he was always looking for a girlfriend. It was a pretty neat series. Seasons one and two of Hooperman uh, there. Homeland, the complete fifth season, was never a Homeland fan. I, I always it, felt like Claire Danes uh, was playing, and I know she's, she was supposed to have what, uh, she was suffering from some sort of a mental illness. Yeah, and, well, yeah, like, a, like a PTSD yeah, or something, yeah, wasn't and, it? Yeah. And she didn't always take her meds. Uh, in, yeah. in the series, because she, because you know, she needed to be to have all of her senses on the on the edge, so she could figure out edge. about all these curious yeah. and whatnot. And so she was always just a little sharp and itchy for me. And I'm thinking about Claire Danes. I'm thinking about my so-called life. Yeah, that girl that I fell in love with. <laughs> I'm like, who is this twitchy chick? <laughs> who you know? So anyway, yeah. anyway, but lots of people love uh, Homeland. Fifth complete season of Homeland here. Special features. Uh, the evolution of Carrie Matheson, you know, the character she plays, Homeland in Berlin, Beyond the Wall. So that season covers that. Uh, I also have the IT crowd here. Are you, are you a big fan of the IT crowd? Not really. You know, funny occasionally for me. Yeah. These, these people are all very clever. Uh, and, and all of these jokes are very clever. Yeah. But you know what? Get too many clever people in the room. Yeah. You just want to smack everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's what I want to do. Commentary track with uh, uh, Graham uh, Len Lenhan, a featurette here as well. The IT crowd. And Rizzoli. the seventh and final season, which I happen to have watched, of Rizzoli and Isles. Uh, look, what am I going to tell you? Um, it ain't Cagney and Lacey. It ain't Cagney and Lacey, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, look, I had a thing for Rizzoli. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend like that's not true. Love Bruce McGill on this series. Um, you know, neat, neat, neat show. Uh, seven seasons did good. All right, I got some classic TV here that I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna drill down on, and uh, we're talking really fun classic stuff. So, the Red Skelton Hour in color. This is the first time that this has been out. Um, three DVDs of uh, never-before-seen episodes of Red Skelton's show, all in color, in that really cool color that TV once had, where yeah. everything just popped because saturated, maybe. it was just saturated because people understood that you didn't have a your your television signal was coming over the air. You had about you know three hundred and forty lines on your TV. <laughs> <laughs> and and that electron gun was not going to be able to handle a whole lot of colors, so you got to wear blue and black and red and green primary colors. Let them let them shine. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of great guest stars here: Milton Berle and Phyllis Diller and George Goebel, um, Martha Ray, Mickey Rooney, who's on every single show ever. Merv Griffin, it's great. Robert Goulet sings. I had a lot of fun with this. So that's uh, the Red Skelton Hour in color uh, from Time Life. And then, uh, almost as wonderful, is uh, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, yes. Johnny and Friends. This is three actual, complete Tonight Shows with original commercials. It's fantastic. Which is pretty great, because it just totally takes you back. And um, it is amazing that Jerry Seinfeld has been doing the exact same routine for like 30 <laughs> years, and he hasn't aged. He looks the same. 
I mean, you watch this and you just think, wait a minute, has does is is he just caught in a time warp? Like he's well, he Dick Clark, he's and he does his thing, and he's Jerry's, and it just doesn't change. You know, just keep 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 the same subject matter going. Because okay. the funny thing is, Jay Leno changed. You know, yeah. I I was a physically huge, changed, and his comedy changed. Oh, his comedy totally changed because Jay Leno used to be the guy who would tell these long stories, uh, and when he wound up on the Tonight Show, everything was you know. It was rapid fire. It was like a joke every five, ten seconds. You know, he he really switched it up, and his stand up before that was completely different. It's yeah, amazing. He'd, he'd do all those Mavis jokes and all yeah. these, uh, really, 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 really neat stuff. Uh, Dynasty, the first season, is also out, uh, and uh, you know what? What can I say? It's Dynasty. I, I, this was the the. By the way, this is the season that had Al Corley mm-hmm. playing, uh, you know, the, uh, David Carrington and um, Blake Carrington, of course, played. Played by uh, John uh, Forsythe, Forsythe, yeah. who at the time was also being Charlie on Char- the voice of Charlie on Charlie's, Charlie's Angels. Angels. Yeah, and I remember thinking, man, if anything happens to him, ABC is screwed. <laughs> they lose, they lose not only the star of Dynasty but the voice of Charlie and Charlie's Angels. You're done. The, um, first, season, the first season of Dynasty was pretty fantastic. Uh, Linda Evans was still breathtakingly beautiful. She was in look, the early '80s. This first season is really sharp. It was. Let's be honest. This was a total response response to Dallas. CBS's Dallas yeah. and uh, ABC said well we're going to out Dallas Dallas yeah. we're going to you know we're going to really defeat you and they made the very smart move that they're not going to have a guy be the villain they went and had a woman be the I villain was thinking the ex-wife. literally the thing of that Joan Collins comes in uh, as, a, as as just a force, yes, in, in, in that show, and it's it's yeah, it's yeah. it was very very smart when they did that. So in any case, uh, I mean Al Corley plays Stephen Carrington. I shouldn't have said David Stephen Carrington. So uh, Al Corley left the show after the first season, as did Pamela Sue Martin, yes, who plays uh, Fallon Carrington. So they had to reinvent the children on the show. With new actors, which somehow they managed to do rather courageously. They pulled it off because, you know, soap operas do that all the time. Uh, So, you know, it's interesting. It's a very different show in its first season than it was in later seasons when it just got into complete camp and kitsch and just ridiculous. I just watched that cat fight again the other day. (laughs) That is just some of the most wonderfully horrible television I've ever seen. And then the last classic TV bit, Quantum Leap, is out in a complete series uh, from Mill Creek. Quantum Leap, still a cool show. Uh, you know, uh, Scott Bakula, this is where he kind of nailed it down. And Dean Stockwell is his, uh, his kind of time-tripping companion. It's a very concept of that show, uh, right out of the box, is high concept. It's Doctor Who without Doctor you know. Who. I have to say, my exquisite wife, Bridget, is in an episode of Quantum Leap. Plays, plays Anita Hill. Uh, in an episode of That's Quantum Leap, it's a reference back to all of that. Stuff. I knew that, and I'd totally forgotten that. Yeah. So yeah. all five seasons, 97 episodes, they couldn't get three more and get to 100. Anyway, uh, you know what? Fun show, real fun show, still out there uh, in the zeitgeist and Quantum Leap complete series from Mill Creek. Totally watchable today. Uh, from, from this year, the complete second season ballers Dwayne Johnson's show about a former football player, you know, after the you know, one day after yeah. the, the Super Bowl, uh, who becomes an agent. You know, uh, I know a lot of people who are really bananas about this show. Obviously, you got all the football players who show up sure. on the show all the time. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, that's doing pretty good. Second season, uh, a lot of bonus features on this thing, play by play, uh, play by play commentary on each one of the uh, episodes, uh, bonus segments featuring interviews uh, with the uh, producers of the show, and a little bit of extra Dwayne Johnson 
uh, there for you. For those of you who cannot get enough uh, uh, from the, the From Dusk Till Dawn series, uh, Robert Rodriguez's, uh, pretty much the only thing on El Rey, <laughs> yeah. the only original programming on El Rey, is this series. This is season three of From Dusk Till Dawn, uh, which you can watch over there on that series. I don't know. Uh, look, this is all fine, but uh, the vampire theme, uh, you know, if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're rolling with it, you're rolling with it. All kinds of bonus features on this thing for you to enjoy featurettes and behind-the-scenes interviews and, and, uh, and, uh, and the deleted scenes, all kinds of stuff, audio commentaries, lots of stuff. From Dust Till Dawn Season 3. Um, I did not see this series, uh, Vice Principals, with Danny McBride and Walton, Go- Walton Goggs. This is yeah. the first complete season. HBO. Uh, on, on HBO. I didn't see it, <clears throat> so I don't know much about it. I do know this. Love Danny McBride. Double love Walton Goggins. Who's really become a thing, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, he has. Uh, uh, he can play almost anything. Very funny. You know Walton Goggins from Hateful Eight. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the sort of primary characters from Queen. Yeah, he Queen he is uh, he Walton Goggins is a guy who would have otherwise had a career in westerns in the 1960s. Oh yeah, oh, right. Yeah. He, he, he played he's one of the like Lee Van Cleef. He's like he's that kind of a guy. It's just you can you plug him into something really, really just rednecky and dirty, and he always seems to come through with something interesting and unique. He's with a fascinating voice, actor. Bill Murray shows up in this in this series. Uh, some interesting bonus features, deleted scenes, a blooper reel, and nine, nine audio commentary tracks. All right, I'm going to go from the sublime to the ridiculous here real quickly and uh, start off with uh, season one of Versailles, which I am absolutely loving. This is one of the best things uh, on TV. I just, I cannot get enough of Versailles. Um, it is, uh, I'm, I'm watching it on Netflix, and they uh, sent us a Blu-ray, which I'm elated with, because now I can watch it on Blu-ray and get better resolution. Uh, this is all about the uh, court of King Louis XIV, played by uh, George Blagden, and uh, it is extraordinary. This is 17th century uh, French court intrigue, and it is amazing how it mirrors so many of the same political and social machinations yeah. we have today. We don't change as yeah. people. No. I keep saying we're cavemen with computers, no. and we are, man. Uh, it is amazing. It, this is just really great stuff, really well written, beautifully produced, uh, incredible production value, one of the best things on TV. And uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's Canadian. <laughs> Canadian television isn't supposed to be that good. And then uh, on the end of The Ridiculous, uh, we got three here. Uh, Frankenstein, The Real Story, and The Real Wolfman from uh, History Channel. This is, you know, uh, just a couple of those History Channel uh, uh, quickies that they throw together. They just let, let everybody loose on their, on their editing team, and somehow it comes up. Neither one of them tell you much about Frankenstein or the Wolfman legend, but it's diversionary. Uh, Sabrina Down Under with Melissa Joan Hart is, uh, you know, basically, uh, if you're a fan of that just dreadful Sabrina the Teenage Witch show, uh, well, then you get to watch her go to Australia and meet mermaids. There's really no other reason to watch this. Uh, I, it, you know... It's, it's, it's never quite get my mind around I, it's that just one. silly and then uh, season seven season seven seven years are you kidding me history channel seven years of swamp people yeah are you kidding me it's not even duck dynasty these people aren't even rich at least the duck dynasty people are rich yeah, yeah the swamp yeah. people aren't rich they yeah. just live in the swamp and they they kill gators and fish and 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 they wear waders and i don't understand i just don't understand this show 
Um, you know, but whatever. It's you know, people in New Orleans love New Orleans, and that's what they do. So uh, this is 13 episodes of these just really disturbing people. And uh, History Channel continues to make things that have nothing to do with history, just like the Learning Channel makes things that have nothing to do with learning. Which is just so disturbing. Yeah, it's deeply disturbing. Thank you for letting me do uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the complete series. Yes. Box set here, the so. third ever Star Trek series. Yeah. This was the one where... Started in 1993. This was the one, right, where they said, can we do a Star Trek series that isn't centered around a starship named yeah. Enterprise? Yeah, yeah. Can we actually... Yeah, do a new thing. It's a, it's a really complicated thing to pull off. This is 173 episodes with all kinds of special features here. It's a really complicated thing to pull off because we're, we're doing a couple of things here. For one thing, all right, we got we got ourselves a black commander. This series began in 1993. Uh, he's on this space station, which is really a wonderful kind of notion because it's a crossroads for every culture. It. It can possibly be. It's there. like a western. It's, it's Dodge City. Right? It's, it's he's he's the sheriff yeah. of Dodge City. He's yep. Gary Cooper. He's all again. And of course, it's played by the exquisite Avery Brooks. Yeah. Uh, with that fantastic voice, who I first came to love, of course, playing Hawk and Spencer for hire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have an unaffected things. In any case, I'm a big fan of this series. It was sort of a, it was sort of the spiritual. Uh, anchor of of the uh, Star Trek series, as everybody else was sort of going out doing their westerns. Much of what went on on Deep Space Nine had to do with these notions of spirituality again, yeah. uh, from these different cultures. The very, the very wormhole that the space station Deep Space Nine was juxtaposed against was believed to be a conduit uh, it, it's a, to a it's different a, dimension. Amazing the, the, how this show really, really came into its own. I, uh, I, 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 and Avery, you know, was coming off of being coming um, off of playing Hawk on, on, on Hawk. Fire. And which is a totally different thing, yeah. You know, he really shifted gears, and it and I I credit them for giving him that chance and, and not locking. First of all, Avery Brooks, uh, Juilliard trained Shakespearean, incredibly actor. classically trained actor, yeah. who is playing a very. It's a little bit how Morgan Freeman came out of exactly came uh, off of Main uh, Streets and the Electric Company. Yeah, you know, and and you know, it's very easy. I think, especially for black actors, to get stereotyped into playing the tough roles, yeah. the the tough cop, the tough hood, the tough whatever, you know. Put on sunglasses and a black jacket, and you're John Shaft all yeah, over again. Yeah, particularly if you happen to be a big ball of black, black. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, and, <laughs> and you know, they gave him a chance to go from Hawk, which is a pretty obvious bit of casting, to yeah. a a captain of a space station in the future, and he kills it. He's a completely different guy, and you realize what great range he had in it's that moment. It's a very solid. It, you look, it's a very solid um, um, uh, part of the Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, world and generation yeah. with a few crossover characters too. Worf crosses, crosses over into that series yeah. as well. A bunch of things. It's good. good. All right, uh, let's let's try to wrap up here with some foreign stuff. Um, got a few things here. The People versus Fritz Bauer, a uh, which is all about the hunt for Adolf Eichmann. It is incredibly well done. This is a really strong film, one of the better films of of uh, last year. This is from Cohen. Cohen really did a great job with this. Directed by uh, Lars Kraum. And this swept all the major awards of the German Film Awards, and very, very deservedly. Um, set in 1957, and uh, just follows the paces of this story absolutely to a perfect tee. Beautifully acted, beautifully made in every conceivable way. Um, it's really, really worth seeing. Uh, just a beautifully, beautifully made film about a really important piece of history. And then a great French film from last year, which uh, was the Cannes Film Festival winner for uh, Best Actress for Emmanuel Berco. I'm, I'm sad that it didn't do better here theatrically. I'm really, really sad that Film Movement isn't releasing this on Blu-ray, mm. but 
we get, at least get it on DVD. And it is the film is My King, um, otherwise known as uh, Mon Roi. It goes by both titles. Uh, directed by Mai Wen, who uh, did uh, a pol Police a few years ago. Now, Mai Wen is a really interesting director because her background, if you, if you watch this really dysfunctional relationship in this movie, you have to understand Mai Wen was a teenager when she had an affair with um, Luc Besson. Mm. Okay, so she and Luc Besson, and, and she, you know, they had a kid together, and there's a whole, it's a rather scandalous relationship that she had with Luc Besson, mm -hmm. and I won't get into all the details, you can Google it, but um, uh, Mai Wen is nonetheless an amazing uh, director. She is the sister of Isilde Lebesco, mm -hmm. the actress, who is in this as well. So uh, all of that out of the way, my King is really an extraordinary film about two people who should simply not be together, but they are compelled to be together. And Vincent Cassell plays the guy who sweeps Emmanuel Berko off her feet. And then, of course, this relationship goes through all kinds of twists and turns in a very kind of Ingmar Bergman-esque way over the years. And it winds up being incredibly powerful and very poignant. And I, I highly recommend this. It's a clinic in great acting and great filmmaking, especially directing of actors. Includes outtakes in a deleted scene, as well as the uh, short film that Mai Wen made uh, called "I'm an Actress." Uh, so you know, it's uh, it's a real it's a it's a treat for Mai Wen fans. I just wish it was on Blu-ray. Yeah, Kamikaze '89, uh, which interestingly enough came out in 1982. Yeah, uh, uh, um, uh, directed by Wolf Grimm, but uh, starring uh, Fassbender. Yeah, uh, uh, Warner Fassbender, Total totalitarian society movie. He's a cop. There are these bombings going on. He's like this super cop, this badass super cop who wears this sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it? I guess leopard spotted suit. Le yeah. Leopards have spots, right? Tigers yeah. have stripes. Yeah. So leopard spotted suit. Yeah. Uh, it's very sexy. It's it's sexy, particularly now because you know I look at this stuff now and it's like it's like uh, you know it's all you know in juxtaposition to some of the things going on in society. It's very interesting, but more more importantly, it's just sexy. Uh, <laughs> it's just and I, and I like that a lot. Bonus features. Uh, in, include a, a, a documentary by uh, Wolf Grimm and a commentary track from a, from a couple of very important uh, film historians, as well as a, a few radio spots for the film when it came out, uh, and another documentary too. Uh, the uh, Park Chan Wook's *The Handmaiden*, which I thought we would be talking a little bit more about. I did too. Now, and it's not on Blu-ray either, and that's really no, upsetting. No, this is to on me. DVD. Fantastic movie, by. Uh, by the way, it's really good. Uh, uh, his, I I'd say his best film since Old Boy. I would. You know. Well, he he. You, well, yeah, he made that one movie that I didn't care much for. Yeah. Um, Stoker. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Your best film since, since Old Boy, yeah. for sure. Um, anyway, it's a very very bright film that has to do with the Japanese and Korean societies and how they come together in a in a very very complicated sort of a scheme uh, that's going on. Uh, that has a cross and a double cross and a double, double, double cross. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and you just have to sit there and, and let, let it overwhelm you. It's incredibly beautiful. And it has a bit of what I would have to call it. They call it you know, an erotic thriller. It has something that I would, I would have to say approaches softcore porn. <laughs> uh, we're right in this. If we're not, if yeah. we're not actually doing softcore porn, we're right outside yeah. the door of softcore porn. Fantastic uh, se sequence. A little yeah. lesbian, little lesbian love scene I'm talking about here. Uh, it's fantastic secrets, but you know you better be ready uh, for that one. Put the kids. You in know, bed. I, uh, I I uh, I had a pretty good joke yesterday. By the way, as yeah. long as we're on the subject, yeah. I um, 
friend of mine posted a uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. with after the Super Bowl. He said, uh, "I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since Hillary Clinton." <laughs> and I said to him, "I said, oh no, 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 dude, dude, this is a buddy of mine from, from from film school." I said, "You missed the comedy opportunity. This is what you should have posted." I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since Vincent Gallo in The Brown Bunny. <laughs> that's the joke. That's the that's, joke. That's a, film, that's a film people joke there. Yes, it is, but he enjoyed that. And anybody who's seen The Brown Bunny, you will understand yeah, yeah, what yeah, that yeah, means. Yeah. I haven't seen a bleed, And you're free to lose. I'm putting that in the public domain. I haven't seen a lead blown that badly since uh, yeah. Vincent Gallo in The Brown Bunny. Feel free to use that. Make it viral. Okay, uh, and then our last four uh, foreign language titles here. Umberto Lenzi, a schlockmeister from Italy, uh, courtesy of Raro Video and Kino. We now get the Raro Video release of Sacrifice, the uncensored director's cut. Now, that's not just Sacrifice. That's Sacrifice with an exclamation point. Point, yeah. Because this belongs to, you may not have known this, did you know that there is a subgenre of Italian cannibal movies? No. I didn't either. Beyond Argento and all that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It is specifically cannibal movies made in Italy. This is one of them. This is the one that apparently started the whole thing. In the same way that there are Italian westerns and there are Italian Italian cannibal movies. Cannibal movies, 1972. Uh, a bunch of people go to Thailand and uh, where they apparently eat people. Uh, there's, it's really, it's yeah. Is it shocking? Yes. Is it? Uh, but is it like you know, uh, modern day gore shocking? Like, uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's not even in that realm. Um, but I will say this: uh, there are no cannibals in Thailand. There are cannibals in Indonesia. Yeah. And I know this because when I lived in France, uh, I was friends with a family of Indonesian diplomats. A kid named Frankie, coolest kid in the world. And his dad was like some kind of he was in, he was part of the, uh, the 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 consulate there the mm. Indonesian consulate in Marseille, and I remember hanging out with Frankie and his brother, and they were telling us they're like uh, oh yeah we got cannibals in Indonesia I don't even remember how we got talking about cannibals, <laughs> but that was very matter of fact. And I said what? He goes oh yeah there's you know in Indonesia there's a lot of islands islands out there someplace a lot of islands there's like cannibals in some of those islands. And I said really. Like, but how do you, you go, nobody goes there. It's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like anybody actually, you know, you, you resupply the island. It's not like anyone go, votes for president there. Uh, it just, ha- people there don't even know they're part of the country. They don't even know they're in Indonesia. They don't know they're in Indonesia. They're on an island. They, they, they war, they fight, they eat each other. And, uh, you know, yeah. everybody else knows you're part of our country, but we ain't going there. We're just going to let, let you, evolution take So, take anyway, I thought that was a fascinating discovery. And then uh, here, before I get to a couple of giveaways to wrap out the show, uh, Takashi Miike, who is completely oh, out of his mind, yes, made the uh, Black Society Trilogy. Uh, Shingoku Triad Society, Rainy Dog, and uh, Ley Lines. Uh, these are, you know, I, there's almost no way to actually explain Mike to people who just don't know Mike. Uh, Mike, at a certain point, um, was making something like five or six movies a year. I don't know anyone who's seen all of his movies. I did a commentary for Gozu years ago with Andy mm-hmm. where I, people liked our commentary, but it was essentially two hours of Andy and, and I saying, that's weird. Andy, isn't that weird? <laughs> it started pretty with audition. weird way. For me, anyway, it started with audition. Audition, for sure. In 99. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. After that, I was like, okay. Yeah. So anyway, this takes place, uh, you know, nighttime Tokyo, triads, um, you know, Yakuza wars, and just all kinds. There's a mixed race guy here. It's just, it's a lot of crazy, weird Yakuza Insanity. It's just drug-fueled Yakuza un, flying without a net. It's reckless abandon filmmaking. 
And uh, it, it is Mike. It is pure Mike through and through. I've met Mike. I've interviewed Mike. He never looks you in the eye. He wears sunglasses and stares at the corner of the room. And he'll, you know, if you, if you say, uh, you know, do you like rainy days? He will say, you know, in Japanese, of course, <laughs> um, red. That's it. <laughs> and then you're, it's, it's up to you to make the association as to what that has to do. I don't, it's just, it's a, uh, he's a strange dude, man. I'm but over it. Anyway, so there you go. Takashi Miike, uh, new interview with him here, which is just as cryptic and impossible to de- decipher as, as meeting him in person. Uh, but the, the movies are cool. What can I tell you? They're cool. I still don't get them, but they're cool. And uh, that is the Black Society Trilogy. So lastly, we got a couple of super, super cool uh, films here from uh, Wellgo. We got uh, giveaways. We're going to give away four copies of Beyond Redemption with Brian Ho. This is a really, really sharp, uh, just straight-up action-packed thriller. It is, uh, it's, a, it's one of the most solid Asian cop films that I've seen in a long time. Triad plot here going on. It, it is really, really sharp. Um, the, um, uh, Brian Ho is uh, you know, a guy who's segued from being a stuntman, much as Jackie Chan did. And he's really good. He's a, he is a star to be reckoned with. You're going to want to definitely check this out. Really sharp film. That is Beyond Redemption. So you need to send us. We're going to give away four of these. And uh, make sure that you get us your uh, name and address, mailing address, by uh, February 11th. February 11th is uh, the deadline for this. Um, And uh, once we get them all in, we'll send those out to you. Send it to gods at digigods.com. You're going to put Beyond in the subject line. So send us an email with Beyond in the subject line. Your name and address in the body of the email to gods at digigods.com. Make sure we get it by February 11th, and we'll send out four copies of uh, Beyond Redemption. And then the uh, the other one, we got two of these. Two of these, Train to Busan. You cannot win both of these. So if we, if, you know, if you apply, if you send us an email wanting both, and you get one, you're not going to get the other. So uh, know that going in. Uh, Train to Busan by Yeon Sang-ho is a Korean zombie film that I think is super cool. We're giving away two of those. Send us a, an email to gods at digigods.com with Busan, B-U-S-A-N, in the subject line. Again, name and uh, uh, e- uh, mailing address in the body. And uh, I will say this just to wrap the show out. Train to Busan is maybe the best zombie film I have seen in 20 years. Yeah, better than World War Z. Way better than, than Way Z. better, because it takes place on a train. Basically, you know, like everything else, there's a viral outbreak, and this guy is trying to get his daughter to her mom uh, on the train, and, you know, he's been kind of an absentee dad. And meanwhile, while they're on the train, uh, the zombies are going crazy, and uh, it becomes a little bit like... Uh, like uh, you know, a uh, well, like speed, like yeah. speed, like right? speed, runaway train, speed, a runaway yeah, train, yeah. speed. It's, it's train. a chase movie. Can't stop the train. And a zombie movie yeah. at the same time. Uh, but the socio-political aspect of it, what it says about Korean society and North Korea and fear of the zombies from North Korea, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's an actual metaphor at work here. There's a as opposed to metaphor. World War Z, where the zombies are actually just zombies. Great movie. All right, we'll see you next week.